paleontology and the Bible science in action. What does that mean? Uh, um, if we're talking about research that we're doing today, um, wow, that's a broad topic too. We have Adventist scientists all over the world doing research. We have Jacques Sauvignon in France and Roberto Biaggi in Argentina. We have people in Brazil, uh, Colombia, um, not to mention how many schools in the United States. So how do I focus on all that in 20 minutes or less? You know? The answer is I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to focus in on two that I'm involved with since I was asked to do the talk. One of them is the Dinosaur Project. Anyway, there's a number of institutions working together on this project. We've been working on it for more than 10 years. This is the area in <clears throat> northeastern Wyoming, uh, and this is the geology of the area. The green is Cretaceous, so that's going to be dinosaur age stuff. Um, the browns are part of the, the mammal-bearing layers above the dinosaurs, and it's kind of a bowl that's sitting there, and that's why you see it on both sides, because you've had a bowl filled with the sediments, tipped up, and then shaved off. <clears throat> this is an area where we developed a new technology for studying um, fossils. We presented this, the results of our work to the Geological Society of America and to the uh, Vertebrate Paleontological Society. It, it's combining survey-grade GPS with um, GIS to be able to plot these things. Now, survey-grade GPS is not the same as you carry in your wallet. Um, survey-grade is plus or minus a few millimeters. Um, so it, it's, it's very accurate. <clears throat> we have a base station. By the way, this is what eastern Wyoming looks like. <clears throat> um, a base station. And then we have a, a rover <clears throat> that then measures everything in relation to that base station. Now, originally, you had to do it that way because the U.S. government invented the GPS system for what? Yeah, so they could drop two bombs down the same hole. <laughs> um, and so they don't want the Russians to do that to us using our satellites, so they scrambled it. And so the only way you could use it was to have some place that was surveyed that you knew where it was and then compared the signal where it said you were incorrect for it. Now they have shut it off, and so it's not as scrambled. So how does it work? Here is a drumstick of a dinosaur, the leg bone or femur. Uh, this bone is about four feet long and probably weighs about 200 pounds. <clears throat> when we find a bone, then 
um, a technician with the rover comes through and they measure, they, they take several readings on each bone and they paint a red dot on the bone, um, actually using fingernail polish, uh, and keep track of where it is and they measure each uh, of a number of different positions on the same bone. So here are the positions for that femur that you saw sitting in the ground. So you have your femur, take a picture of it, cut out the picture. Now you got all these little red dots on there. So you line it up with the red dots and you know in three-dimensional space where that dinosaur bone existed. And you can keep doing that. These are where all of these bones were found above this big femur. And this is a backbone, etc. So the area where we're doing this research is about 80, 85 acres around this mesa. And the dinosaur bones all go underneath the mesa. We have eight quarry sites, and the red marks places where we have found dinosaur bone weathering out um, of the rock. So if we look at quarry site one, this was the year 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, etc. You can see that we can build a virtual um, quarry. So you can look at those dinosaur bones just as they existed without any soil in there. <clears throat> Same thing with North Quarry. By the way, that femur that we started with, that's it right there. And you can compare that to the number of dinosaur bones. Every year, the team excavates about a thousand dinosaur bones. Now you can see they're not all big leg bones. You have all kinds of little bones that made up dinosaurs as well. If you go to the second quarry site, um, you'll get a, the same kind of picture. <clears throat> quarry site three down at the south end. Uh, hadn't been worked very much. Quarry site four. Quarry site five is up there. Quarry site six, etc. Now we can take and make some predictions. We know that where our quarry sites are here, we know where the layer goes that has all of these dinosaur bones, and so we can do some reconstruction. So here are the dinosaur bones that were found at, <clears throat> at uh, quarry site one, quarry site two, quarry site three, <clears throat> etc. Based on that, and this quarry site here, you can predict what's underneath the cliffs. <clears throat> so that's what it would look like on a number of dinosaur bones that are preserved at this locality. You had to be at least 25 to 35 individual, thousand individual dinosaurs that got buried in this one layer. <clears throat> so now let me go on to another research area, 
the search for <clears throat> ancient DNA, we just did this one last year. Um, and we have several um, other institutions that are cooperating with us. Danilo Bosklovich from Loma Linda um, is working with us on this as well. <clears throat> so why are we doing it? People that study forensic science want to know how long DNA hangs around after some, uh, an organism is dead. So they have spent a lot of time investigating that. Now DNA has four base pairs, that's all. And all of your genes and genetics come from some combination of those four base pairs. One of those base pairs is cytosine, and it has a half-life of 345 years at room temperature. That means if in, in 345 years from the time it died, only half of the cytosine would be left. And in what, 680, um, you would, 90, yeah, you would have one-fourth as much. By 10 half-lives, there's essentially none left. And so that would be 3,450 years. When it's frozen, the half-life goes to 17,000 years. <clears throat> so after 10 half-lives, or 170,000 years, there should be no DNA. So the presence of ancient DNA can be a test between old life and young life models of Earth history. If the Earth really is millions of years old, there should be no cytosine on anything that's older than 170,000 years. The Ice Age boundary, the Pleistocene boundary, is 1.8 million. So that is a hundred half-lives. So anything before the ice ages has to have, be more than a hundred half-lives if it's been frozen the whole time. On the other hand, if the earth if, is less than five or six thousand years since the flood, that's less than one-third of one half-life. Therefore, there should be abundant DNA in it. <clears throat> so, we went to, wanted to go to the Arctic where you have frozen plant fossils that are supposed to be middle Miocene or 17 million years old. <clears throat> um, why plant fossils? <clears throat> People have tried to and maybe successfully get DNA out of old things. There's a big controversy about whether they've gotten DNA out of dinosaur bone. The problem is when you make many, many copies of it, um, if you get a dandruff flake in there, it'll make a million copies of your DNA. And so how do you know it's not a contaminant? Um, plus, bone crystals make a real tight bond around the collagen 
which has, it has the material with the DNA in it. So you can, people have made the argument that bone can possibly preserve things longer than this half-life um, because of the special relationship of bone crystals to that DNA. Plants don't have bone. There's no way to make that argument for plant DNA. Furthermore, if we only use the DNA that are in the chloroplasts, the, the little organelles that, that actually capture the sunlight, if we only look at DNA from them, it can't possibly come from me. I have no chlorophyll in me at all. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to look for specific genes that are called barcoding genes um, in this fossil plants that we go to, to collect, do the P, what we call the PCR reaction, polymerase chain reaction. That's just a way of making millions and millions of copies of just a few strands of DNA. Now you can see why it would be important not to let a dandruff flake in there when you make millions of copies. So we went to a place in northern Canada in the Arctic Ocean, Banks Island, where there are <clears throat> two sets of layers. One is 4.7 million early Pliocene, and the other is 17 million middle Miocene. So let's take the 17 million one if the half-life is 17,000 years, how many um, half-lives do you have in 1.7 million years? A thousand half-lives. <clears throat> Here's Banks Island in the Arctic Ocean. Here is Anuvik, and we were actually, I was actually, with my wife, um, were able to drive up to Anuvik um, the rest of the crew flew in, um, and then we chartered a bush plane and went up here to the northeast corner of Banks Island. <clears throat> and we were, our campsite was right there. It's amazing what you can do with Google. Um, this is our bush plane. This little puppy could be loaded with, a, you know, a lot of people and get off the ground in, in less than 50 feet. It's an, an amazing airplane. So here we are all jammed in with our gear. You can't just go to the grocery store. Um, and so we're going out across the McKinsey River Delta. Um, you come into Saks Harbor, that's the only town on Banks Island. Booming metropolis. Um, a lot of wildlife, these are all snow geese. I think uh, something like a third uh, of the world's snow geese come to Banks Island to nest. I could be wrong on that number. And so we're flying in here at the middle of July. 
and you can see how tropical it is in the middle of July. <clears throat> Here are our formations. <clears throat> the layer that contained the, the cones that we're looking for is this one. All of the sediments from the top of that one down are the 17 million old layer. And everything from here up to the top is the Pliocene or 4.7 million year layer. So the bush plain lands out there in the middle of absolutely nowhere, sets our gear out there, um, and then promptly takes off. So we set up camp um, out there, and <laughs> there are no trees to go behind. <laughs> um, things you don't think about before you leave home. Um, all of the two women that went with us thought about it. First day there, it snows. In July, yes. Um, this is the Arctic Ocean and Arctic sea ice. And our Chadwick swears he can see a polar bear out there somewhere. Um, I think he was using his paleo imagination. <laughs> um, this is our daily attire for July. So we got to get through this. It's beautiful. Um, there's a wolf. Um, I has a story about him chasing the sandhill crane. Those are muskox, uh, silver fox, peregrine falcon. It's just a neat place. Um, so anyway, we collected our specimen. These were reindeer. They came within a few feet of our um, tents. We never did see this guy <laughs> or that one. But we were prepared. We found these spruce cones that are supposed to be 17 million years old. These are incredibly well-preserved, soft, seeds in them, amazing things. We also took a chainsaw up there. People thought we were nuts uh, um, to cut down through the permafrost. And we collected a sample of frozen peat. Um, to look through the stuff. So anyway, we have since, <laughs> yes, the only place to get empty boxes to pack up was the local liquor store. <laughs> um, anyway, too much to tell. Um, had a crash, broke my neck, <laughs> um, and lived happily ever after. But we, uh, we have gotten DNA just this last week. We've gotten, we, it turns out it's preserved in small fragmented pieces. And so we had to develop special primers for those small pieces. We did that. We see, uh, got the material that's been sent off to sequence, and they haven't found out yet whether it's oak pollen <laughs> or... Um, or ancient DNA yet. Thank you.